Good morning. For those of you who are Christians here this morning, let me ask you a question. How do you know? How do you know that you're a Christian? I mean, if I were to ask you, do you know you're going to heaven, and you say yes, how can you be so sure? How can you be so confident? Are you telling me that you believe 100% beyond the shadow of a doubt that if your life were to end today, that you would be in heaven, and that truth is truer than West Texas wind? You believe that? Okay. You know, a question that I get a lot, and I mean a lot, is this question. How can I know I'm saved? And anytime someone asks me that question, I always respond with another question. Why do you ask? I mean, what is it that brings that question to your mind? What's causing you to question your salvation? And I get a variety of answers, but the the basic answers I get are either I just think I've done too much wrong for God to ever truly forgive me or something similar to that. Sometimes people will say, well, I, I just, I hope that I get to heaven. I'm not real sure, but I hope that I can get there. Why are we not more confident? Anytime someone says to me, I'm not sure, I hope I can get to heaven, or I I don't think that God can forgive me for all I've done wrong. Anytime I get any of those responses from people, I always always kind of try to share an illustration with them, and it's it's a story about, let's say that me and you are out on a boat somewhere in the ocean, and we're going along, and we see two people in the water struggling. Actually, one's struggling, treading for water, the other one's face down, floating. And there's no other boat around, and so we know that obviously they're in trouble. And so we we get the boat over closer to them and throw out a life preserver and say, here, take it. And the one gentleman who's struggling, who's fighting to stay above the water, reaches out for that life preserver, but his arm just flops down in the water. He's so exhausted. He's so tired. He can hardly reach for it. We yell back at him, try again. And so he tries again, but... It's all he can do just to stay afloat. The other guy, he's just, he's on his face floating along the water. He's not struggling at all. And I think that illustration is a good illustration for us that may be struggling. That actually the fact that you're struggling with sin is a good thing. You know who doesn't struggle? The guy face down floating. So the very fact that you're struggling with sin is probably a good sign. The fact that you're reaching for that life preserver, the fact that you want to keep your head above water, the fact that you want to keep swimming is a good sign. And of course, my encouragement to you is keep treading water. Keep your head above the water as much as you can. Dead people don't struggle. Turn with me if you would. 1 John chapter 5, let's read there. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it reads, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. 
and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. In the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that He has testified concerning His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has because He... The one who has believed in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, so that you may know, that you have eternal life. Here's another question for you. Do you have a birthmark? Please don't show me. Many of us are born with this irregularity on our skin that we refer to as a birthmark. You know, when I think about birthmarks, I can't help but think of the uh, Far Side cartoon. You remember Far Side with Gary Larson? Remember this one? It's got two deer. Throw it up there. You got two deer that are talking to one another. It's not up there. We don't have it. This far side cartoon has got two deer that are talking with one another and one of them says bummer of a birthmark and he's got a bullseye on his belly. <laughs> That'd be a bad birthmark, wouldn't it? When it comes to birthmarks, most have them, but when it comes to being a Christian, we all have certain birthmarks as well. There's three actually that we all share. The first one is theological. You can have full confidence that you are saved and that you are going to heaven when you die. And you can have that confidence because of our theology. God is real. Jesus is real. And the God who is real sent his son who is real to die on a cross which was real so that we could be washed in the blood of Christ which is real. All of this is our theology. It forms our belief, but it all comes from the Holy Spirit-inspired Scriptures. You can confess your belief in these things, that God became flesh, that He came to this earth, that He lived, that He died, that He rose again, all for the sake of your sins. John points us to the theological reality when we read verses 5 and 6. Who, who is he, the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with water and with blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So if you get your theology wrong, well, then you have every reason to worry. However, if your theology is correct, then you can have full confidence that Jesus is your Savior and therefore heaven is a reality. But not only is our theology important, another birthmark that we all share is a moral one. All sins are not the same. Yes, all sin is a personal affront to a holy God, 
but not all sins are categorically the same. And John tells us that. You probably noticed in verses 16 and 17, it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So John makes a distinction here. There is sin that leads to death, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. You know, as Christians who are walking in the light, we're doing our best, but we're still a mess, right? We are clumsy Christians at times. We want to do what's right, but so often we fall short. We want to please our Heavenly Father, but we don't always. But then there are those folks who care nothing about pleasing God. They don't want to walk in the light, so they're walking in darkness. They have abandoned any, any idea or any kind of love for God and His will. Don't you think there's a distinction there? Don't you think there's a difference between one who is walking in the light and striving to do right, one who is struggling to reach that life preserver, and the one who cares nothing about it? So certainly not all sin is the same. John said this as well, but if we walk in the light as, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You mean I can walk in the light and still sin? Yes, that's what he says here. Because all of you who are Christians know good and well that once you arose from the waters of baptism, it didn't guarantee that you would never sin again. But when we walk in the light, when we confess our sin, when we repent of that sin, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us. Walking in the light gives us assurance. And we don't have to live in fear of losing our salvation over one sin. We fail. We confess. We move forward. It's when we seek to live life on our own terms that we get ourselves in trouble. It's when we want to abandon the will of God for our own will that we're in trouble. The third birthmark of a new creature in Christ is social. If you hate your brother like Cain hated Abel, you have every reason to worry. You don't have assurance if you don't love the people that God loves. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. The hateful are not heaven-bound. Don't say that you love God and then hate the people that He loves. You can go back and read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-21 through 21 sometime, and you can see that John leaves no doubt as to the fact that God's people are expected to show the love of God to the people that God loves. Love is our identifying mark. And so therefore, we show love, and it's a mark of our assurance that we love God, that we love other people. So there's this social aspect to things as well. When it comes to our salvation and assurance of our salvation, there are three groups of people. There are those who are secure but not sure. There are those who are sure but not secure. And then there are those who are both secure and sure. And hopefully, hopefully you're in that last group. Hopefully you find yourself as one who can stand up with all confidence and say that when Jesus returns or I die, whichever one comes first, my soul is secure. You know, I can stand up here and preach to you about assurance of salvation until my voice gives out. I can talk to you all I want about confidence in salvation, but when it comes to assurance, what we know and what we practice are often two different things. 
to know something theologically, but to put it into practice through application is not always the easiest, right? Because ultimately, we have to deal with the person. And I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, struggle with this assurance idea. It becomes difficult when we go from speaking generally to personally. It's hard for us to find strength and confidence. So, I want to finish our time by giving you a few suggestions, some helpful hints that might hopefully give you some motivation and encouragement moving forward as you seek to prepare for Jesus' return or you're leaving this world. I want to give you two disclaimers, though, before I give you these things. Number one, I can't promise you anything. I wish I could. But for those of you who struggle with anxiety concerning your salvation, I'm not saying that as soon as you hear these and write them down in your notes and meditate upon them, that it's all going to go away and you'll never struggle again. I wish that were the case, but I can't say that. The second disclaimer is this. I've preached this before. I don't like to repeat things. I feel like it's a little bit lazy, but if my records are right, I said these same things about five years ago, and I think they bear repeating this morning. I think it's important that we continue to reflect on certain things, and when it comes to our salvation and assurance of salvation, I think these things are important. Here's the first one. A step is not a walk. And it's important for you to recognize that a step is not a walk. You know, almost without fail, a study on assurance of salvation has to be followed up with a disclaimer. Have you noticed that? It seems like every time we talk about assurance of salvation, the preacher or the Bible class teacher has to follow that up with, yeah, but you know, don't get too comfortable. I don't want you to get to thinking too highly of your salvation because obviously obedience and all that kind of stuff, it's almost like we don't want you getting too assured. But folks, there's nothing wrong with confidence when it comes to our salvation. And in fact, we must have it. We don't need a lengthy addendum on obedience and how we'll never see heaven if we don't remain faithful. I don't think that's what we need as much as we just need to recognize that a step is not a walk. We don't want to have to preface all the syrup, you know, with some sort of disclaimer. How can we be assured? One way is by understanding this truth. A step is not a walk. There is a distinct difference between the possibility of falling away and the probability of falling away. Obedience is a key component in our daily walk with God, but a step does not constitute a walk. Listen again, 1 John 1, 7-9, But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, John assumes that we're going to sin even after we become a Christian. He's not giving us license to sin, but he's speaking of the reality and the nature of human beings that none of us are sinless. So even though we have been washed in the blood of Christ, we still need the blood of Christ throughout our lives. So the key is where we're walking. Are we walking in the light or are we walking in darkness? And what happens all too often is when we talk about the, the subject of assurance, we often present it like this. I'm walking in the light. Everything's good. I sin. Boom, I'm in darkness. I confess. I repent. I'm back in the light. I'm walking along. I sin. Boom, I'm in darkness. 
Okay, so I confess that sin, now I'm back in the light. Folks, if that's how assurance works, you don't have it. And you're never going to have it. The best thing to do would be when you come up out of the baptistry is to shoot you in the head. Or to confess your sins at 10 or 11 o'clock at night before you go to sleep and just hope you die in your sleep. But that's not how assurance works. I mean, think of it in the reverse. If you're someone who is walking in darkness, if you're someone who is not a child of God and you do one good deed, does that put you in the light? So Adolf Hitler is driving down the road and he sees someone stranded and he helps them change their tire. Now he's a Christian? Obviously that's silly. And it's silly how we present assurance sometimes. A step is not a walk. Also, assurance comes from God's word not from our feelings. This is an important one because how many times have you said it, I've said it, or we've heard it, I just don't feel forgiven. I just don't feel like God can forgive me for all that I've done wrong. Now, I have friends and family members, and maybe you do too, who are banking on their feelings for assurance when they're not secure. I have friends and family members who Thank goodness is their ticket. I've done more good than I've done bad, so I'm okay. Or I believe God just knows my heart, so I'm going to be okay. Either way, we're putting too much trust into our feelings. You know that your feelings are not a good indicator of where you're at spiritually. Not always. I know the Bible talks about your conscience and listening to your conscience, but your conscience can become numb. It can be tricked. We can't trust our feelings always. You know what we can trust, though, always, 100% of the time, is the Word of God. 1 John 5, 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John's not appealing to feelings here. What's he appealing to? The Word of God that you may know. That's because feelings are untrustworthy. What's not untrustworthy is the Word of God. Paul shows us this. Paul, before he was Paul, when he was Saul, was a persecutor of Christians. He threw them in jail. He looked on as they were killed. And before the council, in Acts chapter 23 and verse 1, he says, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Paul was dead wrong and thought he was dead right. It can happen. Our feelings can get in the way. Don't always trust your feelings. Trust the Word of God. It never fails. Let me ask you this. Was Noah safe on the ark? Was Noah and his family secure on the ark? Yes. Yeah, you can nod your head yes. Absolutely they were. What made them safe? Their feelings? No, obviously not. You can't always trust your feelings. And here, hear this. Assurance comes from the Spirit's testimony, not man's. Men sometimes lie. Men are sometimes wrong. There are men and women who stand before a crowd like this and preach a false gospel so that they can make some money. You can't always trust man. They lie. They're deceitful. Sometimes they don't even mean to. They just say the wrong thing and it's taken as gospel. Ask one preacher what you have to do to be saved, and they may tell you, recite the sinner's prayer, let Jesus into your heart. Another preacher may tell you that you're fine if you're sprinkled you know, when you're two days old. I mean, you can ask a preacher, a pastor, an elder, you know, bishop, whoever, and you may get several different answers to the question of, am I saved? So who do we believe? Can they all be right? 
They can't. They can all be wrong, but that's an exercise in logic. You can't be all be right. So who do I believe? Where do I turn? Don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to J.D. in his Bible class. Don't just listen to our elders. Don't just listen to your professor in college. Go and look for it yourself. Acts chapter 17, these noble-minded Bereans were checking the Scriptures to see if the things that they were being taught were so. And who was teaching them? The Holy Spirit-inspired apostles. And they're still going back and saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I need to check it for myself. It's good advice for us. Don't just listen to man. Don't just listen to me. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, John says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not everyone's belief system is right. Not everyone's advice is right. Don't believe everything you hear. Test it by going to God's word. Men can be wrong, so don't just trust men. Don't just listen to men. Don't allow man alone to shape and mold your beliefs. Go to God's word, test everything, and make sure that what you're being fed is the bread of life and not poison. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That is Paul's words in Romans 8, 16. It's not what I testify to. It's not what man testifies to. It's not what your, it's not what your mother believed. It's not what daddy believed. It's not what granddaddy taught you. It's what the Spirit testifies as true. And what the Spirit says is, this is what you need to do in order to be saved. This is what you need to do in order to be saved and to have confidence in salvation. And, and your spirit within you says, yes, I've done that. I've studied the Word of God. I've done that. End of story. I'm good, right? Here's my assurance. It comes from the Spirit, not man. Man can be flawed in their thinking and their reasoning and their teaching, but the Spirit is never wrong. The Spirit is perfect, and therefore, I don't get my assurance from some man. I get it from the Spirit himself who tells me what I must do in order to be saved and what I must do to remain saved. I don't think that I have to tell you that uh, there are about a billion insurance companies right now. And you can't watch TV without seeing about a billion insurance commercials, right? We are farmers, bum, 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 bum. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. You're in good hands with Allstate. Consider that one for just a moment. Consider, are you in good hands or you're in good hands with Allstate? Consider that one for just a moment as it relates to our spiritual livelihood as it relates to Jesus, think about what Jesus said on the cross in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus wanted to make sure that he was in good hands, which is why he didn't say, Pilate, into your hands I commit my spirit. Caiaphas, into your hands I commit my spirit. No, he wanted to make sure that his spirit was in good hands, which is why he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus knew by committing his spirit to God that there was something better awaiting him after his death. And that's a good lesson for all of us as well. Jesus teaches us much about having a good life assurance policy. Not life insurance, life assurance. 
Because it would be silly to take great pains to make sure that you have invested all your life in an insurance policy so that when you die, your beneficiaries will receive some money. It would be silly to spend all that time taking out a life insurance policy but not having a life assurance policy. Assuring that your soul is well taken care of. There's a difference between the two. Let me tell you the difference. With life insurance... You pay the premium all your life, but nothing happens until you die. And once you die, somebody else becomes the beneficiary of this investment that you made your entire life. With life assurance, someone has already paid the premium. On top of that, I cannot be denied because I have a pre-existing condition, and I do. It's sin, and we all do, right? But God doesn't deny me based on that pre-existing condition. In fact, the premium is still paid by someone else, my assurance agent, who takes care of it for me. Because as we've said over and over again, someone has to pay, right? This is so important for us to grab hold of because too many Christians are trying to pay the premium. They're trying to pay on a premium that's already been paid. And so it boils down to performance again. Well, if I could just pay a little bit more, God would forgive me. If I could just do a little bit more, then I think God would accept me. Folks, you're already secure. You're already accepted. The payment's already been made. Certainly being faithful unto death is our charge. I'm not negating obedience in all of this. But too many people are trying to pay on the premium when it's already been paid. So yes, you can look to yourself and be disappointed, But don't look to yourself as your Savior. Because if you do, you're in a world of trouble. You have a Savior, and it's not you. I've told you before that my dad was a crop duster. And I used to help him, if you can call it help. Um, When he would land, I would climb up on the plane when I was really little, and I'd wash his windshield. And he'd give me 25 cents a day, which probably breaks some sort of child labor laws, but at the time, I was just happy to get whatever. My dad, I was probably in the way more than anything, but my dad was always patient, always wanted an opportunity to spend a little time with me, even if it was just for a few moments when he landed. Well, there was one time that we were out at this airstrip, and he was spraying this field, and it was very close to the airstrip, and he was, he was loaded all the way down, which meant that his plane was really heavy, and he comes across this field, and he goes to pull up, and he just can't get up quick enough because he's so loaded, and he goes through the trees, and everybody thought he was dead. It was a horrible, horrific scene. Just The plane was just twisted metal, and my dad walked away virtually unscathed and actually got in a plane again and crashed four more times, but that's another story. But he walked away and, and, you know, I think about that and I think he had a life insurance policy. If he had died that day, if he had died that day, that policy would have paid out to my mother and, you know, we would have been okay at least for a little while financially. But he did not have a life assurance policy. Something that he took care of two years ago in October when I drove the 10 hours one way to baptize him. That was a good day. Now he has that life assurance policy. The question is, do you? Do you have it? Now, let me tell you this. You cannot get this policy from GEICO or from Progressive or Allstate. There are some who will peddle a life assurance policy, but it's no good. 
The one that you need is the one that is found in Scripture. The agent is Jesus Christ, and the catchy little slogan is, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Do you have a life assurance policy this morning? And if not, why not? Why would you delay on this? Why would you put this off? There is no good reason to live in darkness. Walk in the light. Let us help you. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?